You know, today is one of those days when people are running. It's the Twin Cities Marathon. Anybody here ever run a marathon? You run a marathon? Uh, I, I have a profound appreciation and respect for those of you that have run marathons. Uh, one of the things about a marathon that is, may surprise you is when you attend one is the community of people cheering on all of the runners at every uh, stage or every leg of the race. And when it comes to church, when we gather together, I think it's just in a, a, one of the things that I think about when I come in on Sunday morning is we need to see each other as cheering each other on. Amen. And uh, we're, we've dove into this whole new series called Fearless with the idea that uh, we are not going to be uh, bound by fear, but through Christ we have the opportunity to become fearless. Of course, uh, 2 Timothy 1.7 where it says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and, and self-discipline. There's an opportunity for us to have his power and love, but we're not doing it alone. We are in the race together, and that's what our connect groups are all about. And, and as they've gathered this week, I've already heard dozens and dozens of stories of people getting together, some of them meeting each other for the first time. Some people that have been here for less than a year, and they got in a group, and they found friendships, and maybe you're even sitting next to some of your friends already here this Sunday morning, and if you've yet to get in connected to a connect group and you've not signed up for one, not attended one, you still can do it. You can do it in the lobbies after the service and just go, hey, I would still want to get involved in a group. We'll help connect you. And then if you're unable to, for whatever reason, we also have kind of our playbook, our connect group booklet that we're all going through that you can also get at our information uh, connect group centers if you want to get them after the service on both of our campuses. All right, I want to dive in today, and uh, I, want to, I want to start by talking about this great fear, the fear of rejection. It's a common fear that many of us think about, have in many different ways. In fact, we've all experienced in one way or another. But as we talk today, I was, I was thinking about this over a number of weeks, and I was re recalling different stories in my life, moments where I, I kind of was fearless. Uh, I, I pushed past my fears. I had my ability to move beyond things that I would never have done before. And really, as a pastor, I want to see you move beyond the limitations that you currently have to become all that God has designed you to be so that you can have his spirit of power and of love and a, a self-discipline. I want to see that happen. For me, I was recalling a time earlier in my life when I was, I was at Emmanuel. I was attending as a youth leader. And, uh, and we had a, a moment in time where uh, the worship team uh, was gone on a Wednesday night after the Wednesday service. The worship team was no longer going to serve. And our youth went to a camp the very next day. So they were going to have no worship team. It was kind of an abrupt moment, long story, of course. But as that moment came into play, Jody and I were... Uh, we were dating at the time, and I remember after the service, I was bothered in my spirit, and I just felt like the spirit was leading me to go to the youth pastor's house. And I just wanted to encourage him because he was a bit discouraged because the worship team was gone, and we didn't know how we were going to pull this thing off. And, uh, and we got there, and as we pulled in, it was late Wednesday night, we got into the house, and, and I just said, Pastor Mike, he was the youth pastor at the time that I was a leader underneath, I said, Pastor Mike, I don't know what's going on, and I don't know what has happened this weekend. I just want you to know I got your back, and I'll do whatever you need because I want to help you out. And so he said, well, we don't have a worship team, and my wife is going to lead the team, and I need singers, so I need you to sing. And I said, anything but that, you know, in my head. 
I was the football player, right? Uh, I, I could potentially speak, but to sing was a whole nother thing. My best friend, Mark Kenny, who was a worship pastor here for years, is now a campus pastor for River Valley Church down in Faribault. But Mark was one of the top five male vocalists in the state of Michigan our senior year. He and I are best friends. He was the singer. I was the football player. I, it was not something that I felt was an area of strength to me. Nobody had ever heard me sing in public. And I, I hit the fear of rejection coming right to the surface, right? What if I sound dumb? What if I step out and I look stupid? What if I'm not? It was, it was uncomfortable because it was not an area of strength for me. And as I was recalling that story, I was asking myself, how could I say yes to that big risk? How could I launch into an area that was entirely scary? And I would tell you that I had to find my strength outside of my experience. I had to find strength from somewhere else. My identity was in something other than that thing. So I was able to do it. As a matter of fact, I said yes. I had a few little uh, deals that I made with Pastor Mike that day. I said, I'll go up there and I'll sing if you'll turn the mic off. <laughs> we got into the weekend retreat and uh, we did the first service. And I love to worship. I, can't, I may not be able to sing, but I can worship. You know what I'm talking about? Some people, uh, you really don't know how to sing and you know how to worship. And that's okay because in this church, all are welcome. For me, that weekend... Uh, the first service we went through, and then the second service, Pastor Mike's wife could not come because their kid got sick. And guess who had to lead worship from the front? <laughs> and that led, one thing led to another, where uh, I ended up leading the successive services, came back. Pastor Mike asked me to lead worship every Wednesday night. Then on Sunday mornings, periodically, our worship pastor at the time, Deneen Easter, she asked me to sing with her and to lead, and I ended up leading on Sunday mornings. And looking back at that experience, I saw that as God using me in a way that maybe was way outside of my comfort zone, and I have no comparison to people like Pastor John Carlos or Pastor Mark, or I, I'm not like them vocally. But what God did is he helped me become comfortable in front of people through leading worship. It actually assisted me in understanding how to preach and how to read a crowd and, and how to understand if people are leaning in or they're not. And, and it really was God's training ground for me. As a matter of fact, years later then, as the senior lead pastor of this church... Now I have an appreciation for worship and its place in the church and its connection to what I do preaching-wise. That's why we have three worship albums in the last three years here at the church is because it's in my heart. If I did not break through my fear of rejection, none of that could have happened. So what I'm saying to you as we begin this message today is that there is a possibility that if you could break past the fear, the limitations of rejection, you may have things on the other side of your story that you've never even imagined in your life. The Search Institute is a, a nonprofit organization in Minneapolis that looks at kids and youth and how, uh, uh, what are the forces that cause them to succeed or to fail. In fact, their, their mission is discovering what kids need to succeed. And I worked with the Search Institute information years ago when I was at the Center for Youth and Leadership at North Central University. And we look at teenagers and how, how do some teenagers turn out great and others don't. And why do some make bad, poor decisions and others make right decisions. And inevitably, 
of what they taught us is that if you come alongside a young person and you want them to change their behavior, they'll never take a risk from a place of weakness. If they feel like uh, uh, there's no strength, there's no support, there's no backing, they won't take the right risk because they're afraid that if they do, they'll be hurt. So our goal was, and I taught this in youth development, our goal was is to take a youth worker, a youth leader, to work with a teenager and help them identify their inventory, their positive asset inventory, we called it. And the positive asset inventory is where they would take their mind to things that were positive. And as long as they were focused on what they did have and where their strengths were, they were now willing to take a risk because they had that in the backdrop. I want you to hear me today as we look into God's word, as we discover what he has to say, you and I are going to have to learn to develop our own positive asset inventory. You are a son or daughter of God. You are bought with a great price. You are adopted into the family of God. And you have strengths to enable you to take risks in areas. If you don't focus on those things and all you worry about is rejection, you lose yourself. But if you can address that by focusing on, as Scripture says, on things above, you'll have the capacity to take great risks. You see, the greatest and biggest barrier to living with positive asset inventory in our lives is a fear that we carry with us called the fear of rejection. We all are social creatures. We're born with a need to belong. We're born with a need to belong. Turn to the person next to you and say, I need you. (laughs) We're born with a need for connection. And when we aren't accepted into a family or an organization or a social group, the feeling is rejection. That's why people spend enormous amounts of time looking to see how many likes they got for a post on Facebook. It's because people want to know, am I accepted or rejected? And of course, if there's not enough, the feeling is rejection and it goes into a negative territory with our emotional life. I've looked and I've observed many people who are, are driven for acceptance because of fear of rejection, even high performers, business leaders and executives. At some point in their journey, they, they experience rejection, maybe from a parent or someone else, and they're working hard all to get acceptance. Unfortunately, if they don't deal with the fear of rejection, even when they get to a point where they succeed, it's not enough. And they're always worried about the other shoe dropping on their head. Some of us have conditional approval in our background as a family. And that conditional approval is a breeding ground for the fear of rejection. And here's what I want you to catch before we even dive into the actual scriptures I want us to address today. Is that we can relive and re-experience the social pain more vividly than physical pain. Meaning... The fear of rejection is rooted in social pain. I can remember five or six years ago breaking my right leg. It was serious pain. I snapped the bone. It was painful. I can remember it now, but I don't feel it in my leg. But I also can remember in ninth grade trying out for the basketball team and going up to the wall when they posted who made the team and who was cut because your name wasn't on there if it was cut, and my name was not on the sheet. I can feel that today. It hurts 
when I remember and I recall it. It's amazing. Ninth grade was a few decades ago now, friends. <laughs> but that feeling of rejection can be replayed in the present tense. It can pile on to whatever I experience in rejection in life, and it can prevent me from being all that God has designed me to be. I need to stare down the fear of rejection and get victory in Jesus. Come on, somebody. See, we begin to reach conclusions about what the rejection means in those moments. How we think other people see us. How we feel about ourselves. We draw conclusions from that. Some people shut down and they refuse to take risks ever again. I've been hurt too much. I don't want to open up my life anymore. And Satan loves to trap people into a prison of limitations. Children of divorce question whether they should ever get married. And hurt people, what? Hurt people. Can't trust anyone. I got to do it my way. Here's the greatest news of all. The good news is that Jesus is the best way out of a prison of limitations. He gets it. He understands. Isaiah 53, 3, he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. You see that imagery? We look the other way. Do you ever have people move away from you or a friend turn your back on you or someone move away and they look the other direction because they were ashamed of you or whatever? Jesus understands that at a deep level. Matthew 21, Jesus asked them, didn't you ever read this in the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is wonderful to see. See, Scripture does not avoid the harshness of the topic of rejection, nor does it sugarcoat the paralyzing effect that fear can cause, but it shows us a way out. I want you to look with me at Exodus chapter 3 this morning. If you have your Bibles, take them out. Let me see your Bibles. Just put them in the air. Phone Bibles as well as, yeah, some of you have iPads. Once in a while I see like whole laptops in here. I'm going to just skim over something, but it's the story of Moses' calling. And in Exodus chapter 3 in particular, Moses is out in the wilderness. He is not taking care of people. He's taking care of sheep. He's a guy that at the end of the story becomes the most profound leader of all the scripture other than Jesus. He's the big one next to Jesus. Because all of the Old Testament, the law came through Moses. Moses led the people of Israel into being a nation. Moses was an incredible leader. But when we meet him in Exodus chapter 3, he is a rejected leader. He is a leader who's on the backside of the desert and has no hope for the future. And internally, he's believed certain things about himself. In fact, he had multiple reasons for fear of rejection. As we meet him at the burning bush, God begins to speak to him out of the burning bush. You can read there. And he begins to speak to him. And he says, Moses, Moses. And then he begins to unveil his plan. And he says, Moses, I want to take you and I want you to become the leader to take my people out of Egypt. And Moses responds out of his 
fears of his conclusions of rejection. His conclusion was that he was not qualified to lead because he had killed somebody. That's the reason he was in the desert in the first place. He was a murderer. Now look at verse 11. It says, but Moses protested to God. I just, I'll keep reading here in just a minute, but I want you to catch the gravity of this. God is saying something to Moses, and he's protesting God. How many of you have ever won an argument with God? <laughs> Moses is in a place where his fear of rejection is bigger than God. It is so real in between his two ears that he simply cannot believe what God is saying to him. And I want you to know today, that at the end of the story, Moses becomes an amazing leader through his protests back to God. But you have the same opportunity that Moses had. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? That's his conclusion from his He's an unqualified leader, verse 13. But Moses, what? Protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? In other words, he keeps bringing up his arguments. There's no way I go back. They're not going to believe me. What am I going to say? He comes up with all of his arguments about why he can't. It's his great what if. Remember, we talked about last week with fear. With fear, it's asking the question, what if? And what if stops us in our tracks. But a child of God, if they step out and they say, even if something bad happens, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So right here in the middle of it, he's verbalizing his fear. I don't know what your fears are, but in verse 1 of chapter 4, keep moving, Moses protested again. Look how many protestations he has. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Moses was born a minority in the nation of Egypt, the slave minority. He was not expected to be a leader by his birth, but he had a miraculous story of getting put into a basket on the Nile River, someone from Pharaoh's household, picks up the basket. He's raised in Pharaoh's household as a leader. Then he disqualifies himself from being a leader in that capacity by murdering an Egyptian. He's out in exile, and all he can do is recite what he did that disqualified him. This is why you're wrong, God. This is why nothing good could happen through me. This is why I'll never break free from the prison, the torment of my story. Friends, I want you to hear the story of Moses in your story. Many of us think there's no way that I'll break out of whatever lies were spoken to us when we were a kid or something a parent said to us or something a, a boss or a, a coach or a friend or somebody in a social setting, and it kind of locked us into a moment. We're dwarfed into a season and a stage of our story. And God would say to us, you can do this. I've called you. I, I'm speaking to you out of a burning bush. And still we'll speak out of our fears. Thankfully, God was not done with Moses. Of course, verse 13 of chapter 4, 
It says, but Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. <laughs> Thankfully, God relentlessly pursued Moses, and he still used him. Friends, people respond to rejection many different ways. They run. They get as far away from people as possible, stop risking in their friendships or even in their faith. They withdraw to avoid any repeat experiences. Perhaps you've done that. Some replace the failure, the hurt, the rejection with another thing to ease the pain so that we forget about our fears. Sometimes that can be to drugs and alcohol, but that could be to a rebound relationship so that we don't think about it. And then when rejection surfaces again in a new experience and we're chasing that other feeling, then we stop and we say, see, that's confirmation. My earlier conclusion was right. There's something wrong with me. People don't like me. Some, and we repeat it. Some people choose bitterness and they hold on to it. We hold the person who hurt us in the prison of our hearts and won't let them go. And they slowly asphyxiate our souls and withholding forgiveness and doing so cutting ourselves off from heavenly forgiveness. Each rejection experience can create anxiety and anger that can well up within us. I was talking with a friend this week who talked about a previous experience that he had in, a, in his job. And his higher-ups, his bosses, abused the staff, the group of people that he was working with. And they, over time, when you're underneath abuse, it just hurts deeply and it goes in. He's no longer at that place. He's at a healthy place, an organization now. But when he faces a moment where somebody says something, they may say it innocently, but it sounds like the old abuse story. Something rises up within him, and instead of responding with a two-level response, he feels like responding with a six or a seven response. It's like taking a sledgehammer out to, to kill a, a mosquito or a fly. You know what I mean? It's like an over-response, and it's all based on his previous story and what happened before. And when we overreact, we shut people out of our life. It can destroy our career. When we overreact in our moment of anxiety and stress, that fear of rejection can actually cause us to represent a lack of love, and we push people out and we don't even realize it. Why do I keep losing this job? Why do I keep losing friendships? Why does this stuff keep happening to me? But it has to go back to that very core center. And we can read rejection into anything. Friends, the only way to beat the fear of rejection is to respond to what... Uh, God said to Moses, he said, I am this. And he goes through a list. I am the one that gave you your mouth. I'm, and he goes through that list. You can read it there in Exodus. And in the New Testament, picked up again. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Verse 18, such love has no fear because perfect love expels some fear. Perfect love expels all fear. See, the answer is perfect love expels all fear. If you want to deal with the 
the fear of rejection inside of you, you need to bring your fear to the perfect love of God. God has a stubborn, relentless love for you. Romans 8, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everything about the scripture, and this is why I, this is not a trite phrase. I continuously say, read the Bible. Because when you read the Bible, you discover his love. His love is what conquers the fear that's within you. When you read it and you understand who he is and you bring your fear to him, he conquers it. He expels all fear. And his love is unchanging and it's eternal. Jeremiah 31, 3, long ago the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love I have drawn you to myself. Romans 5, 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And this is the greatest truth that I think conquers the fear of rejection above all. He chooses us and adopts us. He chooses us and adopts us. He doesn't just put up with us. He chose us. He comes after us. Ephesians chapter 1 says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. <sighs> See, the ultimate in the what-if category for the fear of rejections, if I launch out, if I build friendship, if I go for the dream, if I accept what God wants me to do, then what will happen to me? Will people turn their back on me? Will I feel the old anxieties? Will old stuff come back up? And we're concerned about our identity. Are we safe? We want to know, am I safe? The ultimate way to know that you're safe is when you are adopted unconditionally into the family of God. He may not approve of all behavior, but he accepts you into his family. And the closer you get to the Father, the more he takes the other junk out and replaces it with his stuff so that you become just like your Father. But if you don't take the step to receive the adoption and the great good news that you are a son or you are a daughter of Christ, you miss out on beating the fear of rejection. I feel like I'm about to preach up on here now. You are chosen. Well, you don't understand what I've done, Pastor Nate. You sound just like Moses. You don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand how church people hurt me. You don't understand. And we, we bring it, it just comes right to the surface. Listen, Jesus himself was rejected. He gets you. 
And in his rejection, he still went to the cross. He still went all the way. He still faced down the difficulties. How did he do it? Because he knew his father loved him. He knew he was safe. Even if I die, I don't need to fear. Even if someone rejects me, I don't need to lose my identity. My identity is in the Father. It's in him. There's an internal decision that we make where we respond to the adoption news of God. So let me just give you a few things. The proper response to being adopted, to adoption. Number one, recognize your acceptance by God. Recognize it. Recognize that you're accepted by God. you got to read the word to recognize it. But then you're going to have moments where the enemy will come in, and it could happen on the way out of church. The greatest place that the fear of rejection shows itself is in the area of comparison. Do I look good enough? What did they think about me? Was I better than somebody else? And we look at other parents who pick up their kids and wonder if they're better than we are. Or we find our confidence in comparison. And, uh, or we get offended too easily. And those two things, comparison and offense, John Bevere wrote a great book on it called The Bait of Satan. They become bait that if we take the bait, we lose out on the freedom from our fears. But if instead we say, boy, I feel it rising up within me. I feel like I'm comparing myself to others. I feel like I'm worried about what other people think about me. Or I feel myself getting offended at another person. Instead, if we take that moment and not take the bait dangling in front of our eyes, and we turn to the Father and say, Father, I feel very insecure right now. I feel like I'm not safe and we begin to talk to the Father who's adopted us, how many know when we share our fears with him, he holds us, and we don't even have to have the situation change, we're changed on the inside. That's the moment that we do it. We recognize your acceptance by God in the moment that we want to fear. It's a choice. Secondly, face rejection head on. Name the fear of rejection that creeps up on you. Recognize it, but face it head on. And then in that moment, when it, maybe you feel negative, you feel gross on the inside, you feel like you did the wrong thing, then you can receive his forgiveness and follow his way of doing things. If you have bitterness in your heart toward another person, then you take that before God. You go, God, I don't like them and I don't want to forgive them. He's not offended by us saying that to him. But then you say, help me to learn to forgive your way. And you bring your fear, your ought, your bitterness to God and allow him to do it through you. Matthew 6, 14 says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. It's a scary thing, but we have to learn to face it head on and choose God's way. Choose God's way. I'll never forget an Oprah I watched decades ago. And, uh, yeah, I watched Oprah. I don't know why I was watching Oprah. It was like one of five times in my whole life. Truth. It's not, I was not like a daily watcher or something. 
because I'm afraid of you rejecting me, think I'm less of a man or something. <laughs> I'll never forget, they had on there a victim, uh, a rape victim who had been beaten and left for dead in, um, in a park in New York City. And it was all over the news and stuff, and a couple years after it was all done, she survived, and so she got on the show. And Oprah leaned in and she said, asked this woman, she said, how are you not angry at the guy who did this to you? How are you not bitter at him? Why aren't you full of bitterness? You seem full of life and you care about people. And the thing is, this girl's face is deformed from the beating. She can't see. It was just, and so Oprah's like, I'm astonished. How can you be just a loving person? And her response was this. I will never give that guy another day of my life. I will never give him another day of my life. So when I say face it head on, don't give something that happened to you 25 years ago another day of your life. Choose to walk the road that Jesus has called you to walk. Third, rewrite your conclusions. So whatever those conclusions were earlier on in life that you believed about yourself, you may need to sit down and rewrite it. Read what the word says when the old stuff comes up. Be willing to say yes when God nudges you. Think about positive asset inventories that you do have, people that do love you, that care about you. Rewrite your own conclusions. Number four, experience forgiveness and healing in the family. In other words, it's not just you being healed, but you do it in the context of relationship to others. That's what Connect Groups is all about. We're now, none of us are perfect. Nobody in here is perfect. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm not perfect. <laughs> Hopefully nobody lied right now, right? I'm pretty confident of the fact that I wasn't asking anyone to lie. But James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So that you may be healed. I, uh, I have all kinds of lists on my computer of different promises of God. And uh, I just want to read some. Every one of these that I have has a scripture next to it because it comes from that. I am faithful in Jesus Christ. I am God's child in Jesus. I have been justified. I am Jesus' friend. I belong to God. I am a member of Christ's body. I am assured all things will work together for the good. I have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. I am confident that God will perfect the work he's begun in me. I am a citizen of heaven. I am hidden with Christ in God. I am born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. I am blessed in the heavenly realms. I am holy and blameless in his sight. I am chosen before the creation of the world. I am in him. I have redemption. I am forgiven. I have purpose. I have hope. I am included. I am sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. I am a saint. I am salt and light of the earth. I have been chosen by God, and he desires for me to bear fruit. I am a personal witness of Jesus Christ. I am God's co-worker. I am a minister of reconciliation. I am alive with Christ. I go on and on and on. I am dead to sin. I am not alone. I am growing. I am his disciple. I am prayed for by Jesus, John 17. I have been made righteous. 
I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. I'm chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. I love these promises because as I look at them, and I've got four pages of them, I just chose a few of them to read. When I read who God says I am, it cancels out the lie that the fear says I am. If you want to be fearless, trust what Jesus has to say about you.